Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I, I had a dream last week. It's a recurring dream, one that I've had many times before. Here's how the dream goes. I'm in my freshman dorm room in college. It's the month of December. The semester is almost over, and I'm pulling out a piece of paper out of the top of my desk drawer. On that piece of paper is my class schedule. And I scan this class schedule, and I see that on Wednesdays, I have French class. The only problem is that it's the end of the semester, and I've never gone to French class all semester. <laughs> it's as if I'm looking at the schedule for the very first time and realizing that I signed up for a class that I never went to. But somehow, I'm aware that the final is happening right now. And consistently in this dream, I'm grabbing my backpack, I'm running down the hall, and I'm running towards this classroom. Every time I have this dream, I have one singular thought. Is there any possible way that I can pass this French final without knowing any French at all? <laughs> and as I approach the door to go and take my final, I inevitably wake up. Have any of you had a dream like this before? There's a reason that many of you have had this dream before. It's consistently one of the most frequently recurring dreams in America, one that takes an adult back to high school or college and leaves them in a state where they're feeling unprepared. For some of you, it might manifest itself in another popular dream where you cannot open your locker and the bell is ringing and class is starting. If you're going to do a little armchair psychologist this morning, from what I read, this dream often occurs because of stresses in life, unresolved events in one's life that are leading someone to feel out of sorts or unprepared. It comes from a very deep, very human place for me, I think, because I don't like being unprepared. And I'm guessing that many of you are, are the same way. Well, welcome to Advent, a season where we focus on preparation. I'm sure many of you have already started to prepare for Christmas, even since Thanksgiving. Some of you, I don't understand you, might have started before Thanksgiving. You, many of us will get trees over the next week or two, spend the day making our homes look really beautiful. Many of us will stuff envelopes with Christmas cards or we'll decorate our doors with wreaths. Many of us are going to bake more this month than we do in the previous 11 months combined. We'll read our favorite Christmas stories and listen perpetually to our favorite Christmas music. It's one of the best times of the year when intentional preparation comes quite easily for us, I think. But let me ask you at the beginning of this journey, this Advent journey that we're going to take, what are we preparing for? What are we waiting for? The obvious answer, I think, for most of us is we're waiting for Christmas morning. We're preparing for the for the birth of Jesus Christ, the climax of this grand story. That's the coming we're preparing, preparing for, the coming of Christ to this world. But if we think of this logically, that's a historical reality that happened over 2,000 years ago. I have to remind myself every year, and I, I like to think of myself as a fairly smart person, but I have to remind myself every single year that Jesus is not coming back in the manger in Bethlehem this year. This is something that happened long ago. And while it's wonderful to celebrate that and commemorate that happening, and we ought to do that, it doesn't make a lot of sense, just logically, to wait for something that has already happened, does it? 
Or maybe the more appropriate question is, since Jesus has come to this world in the form of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, now what are we waiting for? Because he has come now, what are we waiting for? Perhaps a history lesson in Advent is in order. The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Scholars tell us that during the 4th and 5th centuries in Spain and in Gaul, that Advent appeared as an official church season uh, in order for them to prepare for the Feast of Epiphany, which culminated in a service for ba a baptism for all the new believers. History tells us that during this season of preparation known as Advent, Christians would spend 40 days in penance and in prayer and in fasting to celebrate for this baptismal celebration. What you might find interesting is that originally, there was no connection between Advent and the birth of Jesus Christ, Christmas. The first clear tie that we have between Advent and, Advent and the coming of Christ comes in the sixth century in Rome. But the coming that they had in mind at this time was not really Christ coming in the manger many years ago in Bethlehem, but the focus was on his second coming as the judge of the world. It wasn't until the Middle Ages that the Advent season was explicitly linked to the first coming of Christ in Bethlehem so many years ago. So historically and otherwise, Advent is the season where we prepare for the coming of Christ, but it wasn't until almost a thousand years after Christ's birth that that coming of Christ was celebrated uh, from, from Bethlehem and this Advent season, how those, came, how those became linked. So now what are we waiting for? What are we preparing for? Our sermon series this Advent is going to ask that question. We call this series Cosmic Hope. And putting the focus of Advent back where it always has been historically, not on the first coming of Christ in Bethlehem alone, but in the hope that Christ will come again and make all things right and make all things new. This is not to minimize our Christmas celebration in any way, for those of you who are nervous. Quite the contrary. I think it's excellent, uh, an excellent opportunity for us to, to lay these two comings of Christ side by side and see the ways in which they bleed into each other. So that as we prepare for the coming of, Christ, of the Christ child, we are also preparing for Christ to come again. So that our hope is not fixed merely on a point in history, but on the cosmic Christ who will consume all of history. The best picture that we get of that second coming, the belief that Jesus didn't just come once, but will indeed come again, comes from John's letter to the churches of Asia, known as Revelation. John starts his letter this way. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. It's easy for us to read this and say, well, John was wrong. The time is not near. 
These things must not soon take place because John thought Jesus was coming soon in about 90 AD or so. So clearly, at a minimum, he was 1,926 years off from being right and counting. We don't know when Christ will return. I'd invite you to be highly suspicious of anyone who tells you otherwise. But John sees the vision and says the time is near, and maybe he wasn't wrong. Maybe the time is near. Maybe ever since Jesus left this earth in bodily form, he has been bending towards earth again, bending towards humanity and preparing for his return. I can't stand here before you and say that John was wrong because most days I feel like the time is near and that he must come soon. Jesus has to be moving towards making things right, towards justice, towards restoration, towards judgment and peace in heaven. John spells this out in verses 7 and 8. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John speaks about the coming of Christ in cosmic terms. Jesus will come with the clouds and every eye will see his coming. Unlike Jesus' first coming where so many, even the, in, the, in the people of God, failed to see, this second coming will be unmistakable. Every eye will see Jesus. And John says that all people will mourn. They will mourn because they have pierced Jesus. They have failed him. They have rejected and neglected him. This might seem a little bit odd to you. We can understand why, why some people might mourn to see the coming of the cosmic Christ, but I wouldn't think that my first reaction would be mourning, to be honest with you. I would think that my first reaction would be gladness and, and worship and being thankful. But this idea of mourning at the coming of Christ is actually quite consistent with his first coming. And this is what's going to tie this Revelation text to this John the Baptist text. In Matthew 3, we're introduced to John the Baptist, one who spoke widely about the coming of Christ the first time around. Listen to his message and see if you can pick out some similar language. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who spoke spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. It's very similar language to John's language in Revelation 1. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The time has come. And John the Baptist doesn't say, rejoice, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The word is closely related to John's word in Revelation when he says that they will mourn at his coming. So I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is that if we put our hope in the cosmic Christ and we, and we desire to live out this Advent season in the way that it was intended within our Christian tradition, following the guidance of Scripture, there is a certain way in which we must prepare. And that preparation comes by way of repentance. Repentance. 
It's a scary word for us. We conjure up images of hellfire and brimstone preachers, of having to stand up in front of everybody and, and list off all of our many sins. And truth be told, repentance is rarely a welcome thought, as it is so regularly associated with feelings of guilt, of not doing enough or measuring up. So John the Baptist's blunt message in Matthew 3, with nary a mention of forgiveness or grace, even on the best of occasions, is difficult to hear. It's even harder to swallow during Advent, isn't it? A season where we're supposed to be merry and joyful. But, I want to tell you this morning that repentance isn't actually so dissonant with Christmas. Repentance, after all, isn't really about feeling bad or even saying, I'm sorry, though those may be part of our repentance. Rather, repentance is a reorientation, a change of perspective, a change of direction, a commitment to turn from what we're doing and to live differently. And so, John the Baptist and John the Apostle, our scripture authors this morning, they challenge us to not define or limit our hopes based on our ancestry or our piety, but rather to dream a larger hope and a grander vision and to work toward a better world by bearing fruits that are worthy of repentance. John the Baptist prepared for the coming of Christ by living in the desert, wearing camel fur and eating locusts and, and disassociating himself from a corrupt and compromised temple system. And instead, what did he do? He reoriented his life toward the Messiah. He, he got on his knees in the dirt and in the brackish baptismal waters of the Jordan and said, God, move me closer to your heart so that at your coming, I'll be alert and I'll be ready and I'll be prepared to greet you with all that I am. Repentance is an awareness of our own sin, the ways in which, as Revelation 1 says, we pierce Jesus through our actions, our darkness, our sin. And in that awareness, that we would turn from sin and brokenness and instead turn to Jesus. When you put these two texts together, it's clear to me that without repentance, we might be celebrating an awful lot of great things here in Advent but we're not being true Advent people. But here's the thing. This is not one of those sermons where I bash Christmas traditions and call you all commercialism mongers and, and, and try and take all the joy out of Christmas. I love Christmas. I think there is holiness to be found in even the most absurd parts of our Christmas tradition. Now, they have nothing to do with Scripture. I'm not asking you to give up what you love about this season, I just want you to add upon it. I want wonder and repentance. I want Hallmark movies and spiritual practices. I want blaring Christmas radio stations. And I want the still small voice. This is Advent, and it's all important. So I'd like to invite you to truly prepare for Advent this year, to re- Imagine repentance as a joyfully challenging part of the Advent experience. And in that spirit, I'd like to share something with you that might be helpful. 
I created a little to-do list for Advent for myself, and, and maybe you'd like to follow along. I'm sure that many of you already have to-do lists that are on your fridge or in your calendar, the many things you have to do to prepare for everything that this season will bring. Well, these to-do lists for Advent are going to help me keep my focus on the cosmic Christ and prepare for his coming in the ways that the biblical witness lays out for us. So I've got, I've got two lists. On one side, I've got the first coming prep list, the to-do list, and then I've got a second coming to-do list. In the first coming prep list, I want to find time and space to wonder at the coming of the Christ child. If you come to church, we're going to help you do that throughout this season. In the second coming prep list, I want to find time and space to wonder at the fact that Christ is coming again and he's going to make all things new. In the first list, I want to prepare my home for the riches of family and friends and neighbors, hopefully even some strangers. In the second coming list, I want to prepare my heart for Christ by confessing the darkness of my heart and being honest about that. On one side, I want to stand and sing songs of joy with passion in my heart. In the other, I want to fall to my knees in humble petition for the forgiveness of my sins. In the first coming, I want to give and receive gifts as a reminder of the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ, which is so evident in this season. And in the second coming, I want to be reminded that I can never do anything to earn the gift of grace. On one side, I want to move closer to Christmas morning each and every day with expectation and anticipation. And on the other, I want to move closer to the heart of God with urgency and honesty. As you look at these to-do lists, this sort of matrix that I've created, hear this truth from God's word. If your only to-do list is on the left side here, the fun stuff, the celebratory stuff, then you are not faithfully walking through what Advent is and you're missing out. You need both of these lists. You need to prepare in both of these ways. They are both thoroughly good and both true to Christ. Only when we take both of them seriously do we really meet Christ in this season. Lastly, I'd like to return where we began, that recurring dream about my French final that I get at least a couple times a year. I've actually grown thankful for that recurring dream. It reminds me, I'm not, I'm not thankful right when I wake up, I'm terrified, but, but then I become more thankful. It reminds me of that core fear that I know that I have, and again, I think you probably have. I don't want to be unprepared, but even more than that, I don't want to be unprepared in things that really matter for my future and the future of those around me. I think it's a healthy fear to have. We cannot miss that this is the message of these texts today as well. To be prepared for the coming of Christ, both the wonder of the first coming and the weight of the second coming, that's hugely important. This healthy fear and urgency ought to lead us to repentance, to John the Baptist's wilderness and, and John the Apostle's vision on Patmos, the preparation plan that is laid out for us in Advent, 
is actually pretty optional if you think about it. We can choose to embrace the first coming of Jesus or, or ignore it. But the text is pretty clear. We will not have that option of ignoring the second coming of Christ. Every eye will see him and will mourn. That will happen. So I choose to be urgent and purposeful about healthy preparation for Christ's coming. So that when he does come again, I might fall to my knees in mourning because I know that I've pierced him. But that, as I'm on my knees in mourning, that that mourning might turn to worship and wonder. Walking faithfully through this season is a rehearsal for that glorious day. So I choose to prepare my response now so that I might not be unprepared to greet him in all of his glory when he comes. So come, let's begin this journey together. Let's join together, placing our hope in the cosmic Christ and walking this Advent journey together in wonder and in repentance. And in doing so, we might truly come and adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to prepare for your coming? Might we be just as willing to stand and open our hymnals and sing the carols of great faith in this Christmas season as we are to fall to our knees and say, Lord, we need you. May our scope not be too narrow in this season, but might we be taken up by the idea of you, the cosmic Christ. Might our yearning and expectation for this Christ child this year lead us to a yearning and expectation for your coming when you will make all things right. Tune our hearts to your coming. Give us the gift of repentance. Our heart's desire is that we might prepare our hearts for you in every way. So would you give us a vision of what our to-do lists need to be to be able to do so? We pray in your name.